Great, great. Alby, that's great. Thanks for joining in, mate. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so uh, what a day to be alive when Jesus is alive and gives such hope to the world. And uh, today what we're uh, going to be doing, um, we, uh, we're going to be carrying on going through um, Philippians and uh, enjoying going through there. It's a great last week and before that we had Pete, but last week we had uh, Matt, Matty P going through this book and uh, it's just really excellent to be able to come and see what God wants to teach us through the word. And today um, I'm going to be speaking a passage that um, actually starts in First Philippians uh, chapter 1 and from verse 27. But what I want to do is go back and read a few verses before that. And I'm going to be talking about authentic Christianity. And so uh, <clears throat> I wondered actually if we could, if you could, if you've got a Bible, if you've got it on your phone or a real Bible, you know, um, <laughs> Philippians chapter 1. And um, <laughs> so, uh, and, and I want to read from verse 21 and then go through into the, the, the um, passage from verse 27. Because it flows on really from what uh, Matt spoke about last week. And uh, Paul is speaking, and it's halfway through the thought, but um, bear with me on that. Um, verse 21, for to me, Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in this body, it will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what do I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire on the one hand to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then... Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the, in the spirit, uh, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's just pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this amazing book, you, through this book, we not only get to know you, but you teach us so many things about how to handle real situations that we're going to face in life. Father, we thank you that you're already feeding us through this letter that Paul wrote. And we pray today, would you help us again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we know, Paul is writing this letter uh, to the church in Philippi, and he is writing this letter while chained up in a Roman prison. 
Yet, as Manny P pointed out so brilliantly last week, and if you missed last week, please catch up on what you missed out. Matt spoke so well. But as Matt pointed out, Paul has this extraordinary ability to an extraordinary perspective that helps him see the whole of his life through the lens of joy, that he's able to face a difficult situation with joy. He's able to face a great situation with joy. And Matt was talking about his life almost being mounted in a picture frame of joy. And if we were able to show um, slides this morning, and if I'd produced some slides, I would have tried to get something of that illustration up there. But imagine a beautiful, exquisite picture frame. Matt was saying that this picture frame is a frame of joy, and you can change the picture, the circumstance of your life, but still it is framed with joy when you know Jesus. And I think it's a wonderful illustration that whatever season he faces, whatever season we face, we can face it with joy. And as I say, Paul is in prison. He's, you know, he's in prison for no, not for being a naughty boy. He's in prison for no other crime that he's following Jesus and he's proclaiming the gospel to other people. That's why he's in prison. And so when Paul is penning this letter and encouraging Christians how to go through difficult circumstances, he's... It, He's not writing theory. He's not sort of making up some good things that he hasn't tried and tested. No, he is chained to a guard. He is in prison. He's got lots of comforts stripped away from him. That's where he's writing these um, sort of things about this is how you face difficulties in life and this is how um, you live it out. So, Paul is not a theoretician. He is a guy who is a voice of experience. So it's worthwhile listening up uh, to him. Now, what I want to do is I want to pick up where Matt left off with a phrase from verse 21 before we launch into uh, verse 27 onwards. And uh, first of all, it's because Paul has this incredible win-win perspective. Now, whether or not you say it's because he believes in the sovereignty of God, uh, that's part of the framework. But he has this incredible win-win uh, perspective. In verse 21, he says this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. An incredible thing. He's saying, one way I'm going to be fruitful, the next thing I'm gaining and you think, man, this is incredible. So he says, first of all, to, to live is Christ. Now, for many people today, and I think we need to challenge ourselves as well, what are we living for? Who are we living for? Paul says, I'm living for Christ. Many people these days would say, actually, I'm living for money. I'm living for stuff that I can acquire. I'm living for pursuing a career. I'm living for pleasure, sport, success in sport maybe. Uh, I'm living for family, enjoying family. None of those things are wrong in themselves, but Paul says for him to live is Christ. It's all about Jesus it's about him. He says, my life is all about him. He's my passion. He's my motivation. 
He gives my life meaning. He gives my life direction. He gives my life purpose. In fact, my life without Jesus becomes meaningless. There's no point without Christ. He's saying, I live for him, for his glory. He's my agenda. Now, when your life is centered around Jesus, it affects everything else. And this is where another illustration of the picture frame comes in. If you're living for Christ, everything else fits into the picture. It's not that the other things aren't important, but everything is shaped by, it's picture framed by, it's, it's, it's changed by this perspective that everything is around Jesus. So how you spend your money, what stuff you have and what you do with your stuff is changed when your life is centered around Jesus. How you pursue your career, what you pursue in your career, is shaped by Jesus. Where you live and where your next home is going to be is shaped by Jesus. It's picture framed by him. It's all about him. How you, uh, you, know, how you raise your family is shaped by him. How you treat your partner is shaped by him. So Paul says, look, for me to live is Christ. Now, he hadn't already always had that perspective. He hadn't already had that. He was, once upon a time, he was shaped around something else. In fact, at one point, he was fiercely opposed to Christ and opposed to anyone who would follow Jesus. And he was there when, um, you know, uh, when Stephen was stoned, the first martyr, Paul was there approving of it. He was there, part of the ringleader to make... He was wanted just to destroy anyone who followed Christ. So Paul wasn't always passionate about Jesus until the day that he encountered Jesus. Then everything changed. He's convicted of his sin. He knows he's gone in the wrong direction. He knows he's really missed it big time. He repents, turns his life over to Jesus. And from that point on, It's like a mantra over his life. For me to live is Christ. There's nothing else matters. It's all about Jesus. And his expectation through this passage, which Matt spoke about, is saying that his expectation is that he's going to carry on living, but for him to carry on living means fruitful labor because he's living for Jesus. So whatever comes out of his life, is going to bear fruit for Jesus. That's his expectation. But it's this other half of the phrase where he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, that I want us to get our heads around before we can go on to the next part of the passage. For many people, to live is me. It's about me. It's about my happiness. And to die is loss, utter loss. It's like I'm going for everything now. I want everything now. It's me and it's what I desire in my life. For me, to live is me. But to die is loss. So how come Paul is saying to die is gain? He's saying living for Christ and his glory is what I'm about, but to die is to depart and be with Jesus. It's to be with him. It's all about Jesus. 
being with him. I mean, I, Paul, Paul's thinking, I'm going to serve Jesus, but when I get to be with him, then I see him face to face. Then as the Bible teaches us, we're going to be like him, which means that, yes, well, you and I, we can live our life now, live for Christ, fruitful labor for him, absolutely. But I tell you this, when I get to be with him, the character flaws that I'm working on and that I'm ashamed of are not going to be there anymore. I'm going to be like him. Because the Bible says we'll be like him because we see him as he is. And so this salvation which I've tasted now and this relationship with God that I've tasted now, to die is, is gain. It's like, actually, I'm going to be completely transformed to be like him. I want to be like Jesus, don't you? I mean, the biggest passion of my life, if I could shape my life around him, if I could look like him more than I do now, I'd love it. When you see me in heaven, you'll bump into Phil without those flaws which irritate you, which drive you nuts. My family will be pleased to hear that. Everything, you know, listen, we all have flaws. The, the Spirit of God's working in us. But, Jesus, but, but what Paul's saying is, but to die is gain, because then I'll depart, I'll be with Christ, I'll be able to worship him how I want, I'll be able to live for him then in eternity, and I'll be like him. And beyond that, the Bible says, beyond the grave, in heaven, in the presence of God, there is no more sin. There's no more entanglement. There's no more temptation. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more death. There's no more enemies. We're with Jesus. So Paul says, dying for a Christian believer... It's not a loss. It's a gain, he says. It's a gain. It's a win. It's not the worst option. He says in this passage, it's better by far. That really needs to shape us as believers. Because so often we can live like now is everything... Paul helps us to see being with him is better. Now, it doesn't mean we all run out and want to head for the door and finish on this world. No, it doesn't mean that at all. But what it means is, actually, death is not a loss. Now, just to be really clear about this, it does not mean that we don't feel loss or grief. The Bible is really clear about that too. In fact, Paul, later on in this letter, will talk about Epaphroditus, if that's how you pronounce his name, poor guy. Um, but, uh, but uh, you know, he, Epaphroditus, came from Philippi to help Paul, to help him, um, to care for his needs in prison. But Epaphroditus had got very sick. In fact, so sick, he almost lost his life. He was that close to death. And Paul says, but because God was merciful to him, he healed him. And then Paul says, and that spared me sorrow upon sorrow. In other words, what he said was, if I'd lost that dear friend, that would have cut me very, very deep. I would have missed that friend ever so deeply. In another place, he teaches that, um, you know, uh, we don't grieve like others do. 
Now, some people say, oh, we don't grieve. No, no, no. We do grieve. We don't grieve like others who have no hope. And so Paul is very real that when we face the loss of a loved one, man, it hurts. And he knows that it is sorrow upon sorrow. But he's also able to teach to depart to be with Jesus is better by far. He says, no comparison. It's better by far. You see, Paul's picture frame helps him provide a perspective. To live is Christ, to die is ultimate gain. Jesus offers us life and hope beyond the grave. There's a bigger, eternal perspective. Now, some people seem to live just in the eternal. Actually, we need to live in the here and now and in the eternal. We need to have a perspective that comes from this end of death, not this end sometimes. We need to have that eternal perspective. So for the, for the death of uh, the believer, for the believer, death is not the end. Biblically, it's not loss. It is gain, absolute gain. Now, I want to just say, if anyone here doesn't yet know Jesus, if you're not yet following Jesus, this will sound strange to you. You won't get what Paul is saying. Because you'll be saying, but for me to live is not Christ. And you'd be absolutely right. But the second half would also be true. To die is gain? No, to die is loss. For me to live is not Christ, and for me to die is loss. Without Jesus, we do lose everything. Death is horrific. Death is loss. The Bible makes that very clear. And yet in Christ, we're offered eternal life. And Jesus came to offer us that. So if we go through this life without Christ and then beyond this life without Christ, yes, we lose absolutely everything. Everything you've poured your... If you live for the here and now, the here and now, and acquire everything and your whole life is wrapped up in the here and now, when you die, absolutely it's a loss because you leave all of that behind and because you enter eternity without Christ. The Bible's very clear about that. But Jesus came to open up heaven for us. He laid down his life for us. He laid down his life. He died for you and me so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be restored into a relationship with God, our heavenly Father. He came, he laid down his life for us. And now the challenge of Paul's words, if you don't currently follow Jesus, is this. He's calling you to lay down your life and follow him because he's done that for you. And this is the sort of perspective that Paul has. He thinks, Jesus has given everything for me, therefore everything for Jesus. And we're mature as Christians if we're able to embrace that perspective. And until we embrace that perspective, actually, we're still in immaturity. And the good news is this, God is raising sons and daughters to maturity. That's what God wants to do with us. So, let's, having painted that picture there, let's move on then to the next uh, part, to verse 27. Having painted this picture, Paul is ready to encourage the believers to live with the same focus. If they're living for Christ, how's it going to affect how they live with life, with all its ups and downs? 
Well, interesting, verse 27, he encourages us to live in this passage, the whole passage actually, to live as citizens of heaven. He says this in verse 27, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, he said. What he's saying, bearing in mind what's come before, he's in prison. He's saying, whether I remain in prison or get released and come to see you, whatever happens, you live a life worthy of following Jesus. You live an authentic Christian life. Whether or not I live and get released and come and see you, or whether I'm executed tomorrow. Whether I live or die, whatever happens, he says. That's why it starts off verse 27. Whatever happens. Paul knows that to live is Christ, to die is gain, but he doesn't know for sure. He gets pretty much a good inkling that he's going to carry on living and be fruitful, but he doesn't know that. And so he says, whatever happens. And we need to have this perspective that whatever happens, whether good or bad, whether a certain outcome is not what we were wanting, whether it is good news and we get what we wanted and more beside. The picture frame around it says whatever happens, we trust God, we hold on to God, we live for Christ. Whatever happens, however it turns out. In fact, the um, New Living Translation, I also, that's another, this is the NIV uh, the NLT I also love as a, as a translation. It actually says this, live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And as an implication in the original language that Paul is hinting at citizenship, being citizens here, behaving as a citizen of heaven. And uh, Philippi, as you, you may know, was, was a colony of Rome. And so the way it worked back then, if you were a colony of Rome, you were like a mini-Rome. Everyone in the city was a citizen of Rome, We had the privileges and rights of a citizen of Rome. It was kind of like living in Rome, but you weren't living in Rome. It was everything about Rome. You had all the privileges. So they knew, as Philippians, they knew what it was to be a citizen, to behave like a Roman, uh, to have the rules of Romans, to have the privileges. They knew what it was to be a citizen. Now Paul is saying, from his Roman prison, he is saying, I want you, in the light of what I've just said, I want you to live as citizens of heaven. Understand that the church, we as a community, and part of God's wider church, as a church, we are under heaven's rule. We live under his rule. We currently enjoy heaven's privileges. We currently also are under heaven's responsibilities too. What, what Paul is saying to the church is, you're citizens of heaven. Conduct yourself, behave, go through life as you are a citizen of heaven in a way that is worthy of the gospel. What he's saying is just like Philippi was an outpost of Rome, he says you are an outpost of heaven. King's Church, we are an outpost of heaven. That's what Paul is teaching us. We are an outpost of heaven. That means that we are representatives of Christ here on earth. 
It means that we're under heaven's rules. It means that we demonstrate heaven's values. It means everything about us should feel like heaven. When people come in among us, there should be an expression of heaven, touching heaven's values as they come in among us. And Paul is saying, be worthy citizens. In the workplace, be a citizen of heaven. In the home, in our families, when we manage our finances, whatever you face, be a citizen of heaven. Let your life radiate your faith and your commitment to Jesus. Whether you are misunderstood, live as sons and daughters who are dearly loved. No matter what life throws at you, no matter how people react to you. We're to live lives worthy of the gospel. That's why these values up here are so important to us. These are really key, important things. Two things in this passage, which are up here, two things that Paul talks about, um, authenticity and courage. They're key values to us. The others are as well. They are key values. Why? Because we want to live as citizens of heaven. We want to represent heaven. We want to be a taste of heaven on earth. And Paul says in this passage, about in verse 27, when he's talking about being worthy of the gospel of Christ, he's saying, I want you to be authentic in your faith. I want you to be the real deal. I don't want you to be fake. I want you to be just worthy. So when people bump into you and when you hit difficulties, what people see is a genuine, real follower of Jesus who says, for me, whatever I go through, I'm for Christ. I'm living for him. It's the real deal. It's demonstrating consistency, demonstrating faithfulness, demonstrating truthfulness, demonstrating humility, demonstrating all sorts of things, demonstrating openness and love. Why? Because it's demonstrating Christ-likeness. Isn't that why we're here? Isn't that why we're here, to point to him? And this is why it's so important to us. Men, I want to be one who demonstrates genuine love. I want to be one who looks a bit more like Jesus every day. I want people to bump into my life and be positively affected and not turned off. Authenticity is so, so crucial. And Paul is saying here in here, whatever happens, be genuine. Genuinely loving people, genuinely respecting people, genuinely honouring people, genuinely put value on people. This is what we're going for. We're going for the kingdom of heaven on earth expressed through us as a church. And if you're new here, this is what you're joining. This is what you're coming into. We want to see heaven touch earth and bring rescue and wonderful grace to hundreds and thousands of people. We want to see cities transformed because of the wonderful grace of God touching earth. How's it going to touch earth? Through the people of God, through his church, through the community. Oh, church is so much more than Sunday attendance. We believe in a community on a mission, touched by the power of God, filled with the grace of God, filled with his spirit, touching the earth and bringing glory. We must go for the real deal. 
We cannot settle for anything less than a church that affects the world. It's what Jesus wants. And that's Paul's passion. Is I want to live for Christ. And even if I die in the process, it's gain. It's all about Jesus. The second thing Paul talks about in here, the second value of ours that Paul talks about here. And by the way, Paul didn't get it from us. We got it from Paul and from Jesus. (laughs) Just to get that clear. In verse 27, 28, it talks about the fact we need courage. It talks about the fact we're in a spiritual battle. Listen, we are in a spiritual battle. I don't know if you've woken up to that. We are in a spiritual battle. There are all sorts of philosophies out there competing for attention. There are value slips going all around about us all the time in this nation and in the world. We're called to contend for the gospel and stand for the gospel, which is the gospel of grace, truth, and love. And Paul says we're in a battle. And sometimes we may be ostracized. Sometimes, but what he says here is, listen, he says we've got to be together as one, standing together as family. That's why it's important to be family. If you're in the battle alone out there, church is just something you come to, You won't feel that support. If this is your family, man, we stand together and we find strength as we hit difficulties and struggles. We stand side by side in the faith, strengthening each other. We stand side by side, but also we stand one in spirit. Whether it's spirit with a common S, like we're all on the same page, or whether it's one Holy Spirit. I think it probably leans towards Holy Spirit in this passage. But we are reliant on the Spirit. We must be a people filled with the Spirit, reliant on the Spirit, going in His strength, not our own. This This isn't a natural battle. This is a spiritual battle. Therefore, we need Holy Spirit to fill us and give us courage to stick with what we know to be true. And then Paul says this. He says, without being frightened, in verse 28... Without being, doesn't want Christians to run away, be scared in the corner. It doesn't also say that he wants Christians to be all militant and grumpy. How do we overcome fear? Because it's so easy for us to get frightened. Sometimes I can read the news and media will throw so much junk your way, you can be intimidated by it. Paul says, don't be intimidated, don't be frightened. How do we deal with fear? Well, the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. The opposite to fear is love. We know the source of love. We know the one who is love. The way we overcome fear and being frightened and being intimidated is by knowing the one who is love, is receiving his love, letting his love flood into my life so that there is an overflow from my life of love. That's how we deal with fear. We abide in his love, knowing we are deeply, deeply loved. It's great to be reminded again in worship today, we are sons and daughters who are dearly loved. is isn't just a pet little phrase of ours. It's something we are discovering, that God is a good, good father, and we're his children. 
and he is for us, not against us. So whatever I go through, it's not God being against me. My Father is for me, will give me strength. And whatever I go through, I receive his love. And when I receive his love, I receive such security in who I am that I can stand and face things. Yes, I'll get knocked, but I'll stand in his love. I don't need to be intimidated, Paul says. So authenticity and courage are really key. Now, those of you who are going on a hike with me very soon want me to shut up right now, but I've got to finish with that. I've got to finish with this one for you, mate. This is, you need to hear this. Let's go through real quick the, the privileges of citizenship, all right? What does Paul say about the privileges of citizenship? Um, <clears throat> so in verse 29, he says this, it has been granted to you, gifted to you, given to you freely. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, yoo-hoo, but also to suffer with him. And then the New Living Translation says this, and this isn't just Paul getting grumpy at the Philippians and giving them a hard time and saying, just grow up. You read the New Testament, you'll find very few books don't refer to Christians going through difficult times. And it's strengthening us, it's helping us. So Paul says this in, um, in, in the um, New Living Translation, it says this, you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. If you're a believer, do you realize how privileged you are? Privileged to trust in Jesus. The absolute privilege of trusting him, which basically means this. You have access now to the Father. You have access to him. All your sins are washed away. There is no condemnation on you. That is a privilege because you've believed in Jesus. You are privileged to be his child and know his care. You are privileged to know that not only in this life do you have purpose and destiny, but beyond the grave you have eternal life. You are privileged, Paul says, to believe in him. It's a privilege. It's a gift of grace to know for certain when your time gets to depart this world, however that may be, it's a privilege, it's a gift of grace that you will experience eternal life. That's a privilege. That is grace. We have no problem seeing that, but what about the other bit? You've also been given the privilege of suffering with him. Well, I've run out of time, so we'll stop there, shall we? <laughs> How convenient. But listen, we may not face death threats like Paul. Maybe we will. But maybe we might be ostracized, abused, hated. I don't think we're far away from that in this nation. And I'm not saying that to be scared. I'm just saying, be ready, guys. Be ready. We can be discriminated against. Some people may lose jobs. You may lose business opportunities because of who you stand for. And again, I'm not talking about Christians being militant. I'm talking about Christians just standing for what they stand for and just being who they are. It's a privilege. Paul says this in another place. He says, I want to know Christ. We tick that box, don't we? Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. We tick that box, yes. 
And Paul goes further again and participating in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You see, for Paul, Jesus was everything. Jesus was absolutely, he loves Jesus, he wants to be like him in every way. I mean, don't we all want to be like Jesus? Man, you look like death this morning, eh? Are we gonna get, does anyone, anyone want to look like Jesus? Does anyone want to be like Jesus this morning? I mean, man, there is no greater passion in my life. I want to be like him. And he says he loves Jesus so much, I want to be like him in every way. And if it means that my path includes suffering, I'll embrace that. If it means that he's martyred and he was, I want to be like Jesus in his death. I want to be like Jesus all the way through. I want to be like him. You can't manufacture this, but listen, these are deep truths which Paul is saying. Listen, whatever we go through, that's why, that's what, you know, he's saying, Jesus poured out his life for me. I'm pouring my life out for him. Jesus didn't hold back anything for me. I'm not holding back anything for Jesus. That's his heart, his motivation. Do you get it? And so that's why Paul is saying, that's his driver, his motivation. That's why he says, whatever happens... Whatever happens, live like a citizen of heaven. Live worthy of the gospel. Don't be sham. Don't be shy. Be the real deal. Be full of courage. That's what he's saying. You see, the world needs to see an authentic church. Needs to see a church shining out the love of Jesus, shining out an authentic gospel, full of grace, full of truth. Not grumpiness and irritability, no. Full of grace and truth, serving the world with love demonstrating wonderful values that God has given to us, really looking to be the real deal. It's time for us to be courageous following Jesus. Whatever happens, I just want to finish with this. Let us live as citizens of heaven. Let us live as sons and daughters. Let us live worthy of him. Let's live for his glory. Amen? worthy of his name. Let's stand together and let's pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we just want to come to you and lay ourselves before you. And we want to honestly submit to your word. We love the Bible. We thank you it's not just a study book. Father, it draws us close to your heart. And when we read passionate guys like Paul, we say, oh, Father, we want to be a follower like that. We want to follow Christ and be passionate about him like Paul was. Father, I pray that you would grow us up. I do believe that you've spoken to us about being in a season where we'll be growing up as sons and daughters doesn't mean we don't lose that sense of being a loved child, no. But God wants maturity among us. And some of these things are hard-hitting, eh? But listen, God loves us as his children, as his sons and daughters. And he wants us to shine through adversity, shine through it. That the world will see Jesus is alive. And the gospel works. It transforms lives. Father, we pray, would you take us and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name. 
in Jesus' name. God, as we go through these wonderful passages of Scripture, Philippians, we're getting close to the early church in terms of the passion that drove them, the grace of God at work in them. And I believe that's calling, that's God's calling for us. We are getting closer and closer again to the heart of what Jesus always intended His church to be, the real deal, authentic, on fire, burning with passion and living for His glory. So Father, we say, God, please keep teaching us in these days. We know you're getting our attention for this. And we know that, Lord, you're gearing us up, positioning us, Lord, to entrust us with more. And so for our part, we want to say yes and amen to all that we've heard this morning. We say, God, please keep breathing on us. We want to see that apostolic New Testament church coming through. Indeed, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hallelujah. God bless you guys. We're going to have coffee, tea. Please don't rush away. Just continue to ponder what you've heard. Receive it, pray it through, allow it to change your life. 
We're on a journey together, and it's a good one. So God bless you. Uh, kids will be brought back in. You don't need to go out. Patoito are the only ones you need to go and get. Hallelujah. And next week, we're in the gym. 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 Just say that to yourselves and to your friends. We're in the gym.